Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. My name is Will Plunk. Uh, For our guests, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here, and uh, we'll be finishing up our series on the church. Uh, I hope it has been an encouraging time for you. Uh, This is our sixth week. Uh, as we've really been looking at these uh, three very significant metaphors that the scriptures use to talk about the church. So we started and we were talking about it as a uh, body in the way that God, Jesus is the head, but we as the church are the body interconnected and dependent on each other. We talked about it as a building that God is putting us together in which the spirit may dwell. And then we get to look at this picture of the church as the bride of Christ. And I'm encouraged to get a chance to look at some revelation. Y'all ready for some revelation this morning? Um, hey, the, the resource cards, hopefully they've been helpful to you. Uh, we've, we've given out six of them, so if you didn't get any or for, you missed a week, feel free to go to the back and uh, grab one. But those are just tools, sometimes attached to the text we're teaching, sometimes not so much. But really just other tools we hope that can help in our understanding of what the local church uh, is or what the church is actually in general. So we won't be looking at the resource card so much for today, but there's some cool points in there about the powers of the church being declarative, predominantly verbal is the power of the church, ministerial, always in under the authority of Christ, serving Jesus, not having the autonomy to go outside of that, and some of these tensions that exist that when we think about holding both of them are helpful as well, like the church being militant, like it's progressing, doing things, but triumphant. Jesus already won the work, organization, or organization an organism, so those types of things. So I hope that's helpful. Um, another thing, kind of a treat uh, to, uh, to conclude our service is not this Friday, but next Friday. Um, for anyone who wants to come, an invitation is extended to come watch uh, a movie, have a movie night on uh, the insanity of God, which is a documentary about really the church in persecution. And uh, it is a very powerful documentary in my mind, um, give you fired up about missions and the Great Commission. You, get the, you follow this family who they started off as missionaries, but ended up interviewing and getting real stories from all these Christians in persecution over the world. And it is incredibly inspiring for, uh, for, it was for my faith. I hope it will be for you, for those of you who want to come. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it and pray a little bit afterwards. Uh, so you can sign up on the website. would love for you to because if it's a small group, we're just going to watch it at my house. And if it's a little bit bigger, we'll go to the church office. Uh, but that's just uh, for fun. Hope that can be encouraging for us too. And uh, help our vision for the church be much more than even just Grace City and the local church and expand to be the global church. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump into our text this morning. Father in heaven. We do come before you in anticipation, as always, that you are a God who speaks and has spoken and wants to communicate to us here and now. As we come this morning, I pray that for the rest of our service, you could crowd out our mind with your presence, that you'd insert yourself into our brain and just push out all other thoughts. So think about the proverb that says, that for the pride, the arrogant, they have no room in their mind for God. And that's so true of me so often, but I just pray that for this time you could get in there and you could show us this picture from Revelation 21. That our heart would be 
captured by it, our mind would want to think about it, and our hands would want to walk into the implications from it. And that you could just do that for us. Through your mercy and your grace that you do that for us. Uh, in your name, Jesus, we pray all God's people said, amen. Amen. So jumping into the book, parachuting into the book of Revelations is like jumping maybe three-fourths the way through a movie that's about the zombie apocalypse. You're kind of like, what is happening? So it is hard to jump in near the end of this book of Revelation, but I'll tell you, it's so beautiful and so worth it, and it's so helpful as we think about the church as the bride of Christ. Revelation as a book is really the great conclusion of this drama of redemption that is started in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And we get to see this end, this final destination, as you can say, of, of where we're going and who we're going to be. This is the book of Revelation in a lot of ways. It's this, this picture. And I think in our, my prayer, too, really is for us to get this picture in our mind of what God has for us, because here's the truth, right? Like, like the destination dictates the decisions we make and the turns we take, doesn't it? Doesn't our final destination just dictate that? I mean, think about it. You don't jump into a car without your destination in mind, do you? Like jump into the car and, and drive aimlessly. Like for, I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times I don't necessarily know how to get there, but I do know the destination I'm going. Now I got GPS to help. But, like, the destination is always in mind. Yet, yet, here's the truth. I think for many of us, when it comes to life, we're jumping in the car of life without the destination in mind. Without the final destination in mind. With what, where we're really going, what we're really going to be at the end of the day. Maybe we have an intermediate destination. You know, for some of you, you're in school, and the intermediate destination is the grade and the graduation. Amen? It's like to get the degree, and then once you get the degree, maybe it's then to get the job, and maybe there's a house or a family or something like that that is in mind. But for many of us, we get there, we get to whatever step, and then we're kind of more aimless. Maybe in your job it is to get the promotion or to get to the next step. For some of you stay-at-home moms, it is literally just to survive tomorrow, isn't it? Like that's, you just like, I'm just trying to make it through. But here's the truth. I think for many of us, we really are jumping in the car of life and driving aimlessly without this grand picture of our final destination in view, without where we're going. And if we don't have in our mind where we're going, how are we going to really, like, it, it, it's going to dramatically affect the decisions we make and the turns we take. And the book of Revelation is this picture of where we're going. The, the book of Revelation is this assertion that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Messiah. He is the Lamb of God, and he's living forever. And this, this final destination is, it, is a picture of our future, but it's intended to build up the church today. So look at a couple verses from chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3 says this. This is for us today. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So although this is a picture of our final destination, he says it's for us to read today. It's to be on our mind today, and we are to be blessed by the reading of it today. Today. Why be blessed today? Because this final destination reveals that Jesus has won. That he has won. Look at the text, verse 18 of chapter 1. I am the living one. I was dead, 
But and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death in Hades. Jesus has won. This is the picture of our final destination, family. That although he was betrayed, Jesus wins. That although he was crucified, Jesus wins. Though he was put in the grave, Jesus wins. That although there's a long time it feels like before his next coming, Jesus wins. That although sin and death can feel strong, Jesus wins. And although the church can feel weak, Jesus wins. This is the great pronouncement of the book of Revelation. That he is alive, he is not dead, and that he holds the keys of death and Hades in his hands. And here's the beautiful thing, though, about our chapter this morning. Is that Revelation is revealing the uncontested victory of Jesus, and Revelation 21 tells us that for his church, his bride, his victory is our victory, for we are married to him. His victory is our victory, because we are joined with him in this beautiful union of marriage. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. My prayer for us is that we truly would see this beautiful picture and that the Holy Spirit would blow on our hearts, cast our gaze upward, and that this final destination in mind would change our mind in such a way where it affects our daily living. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. You see, we're not going to drift into some immaterial place. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be tangible. It will be restored. It will be renewed. It will be glorified. You think about Jesus and his resurrected body. It was new, but it was similar, but it was renewed and restored and glorified, but for his, it still had marks on his hands, scars from the final hours of his life, but it was renewed, and he is the first fruits of this new creation. You read 1 Corinthians 15, you hear about our resurrected bodies, and this new place, this new world, this new earth and new heaven, it's going to be similar, but it's going to be new. It's going to be vibrant is the idea. Restored is the idea. Eternal is the idea. New heavens and new earth, and there will be no longer any sea. Well, sea biblically often represents chaos. Saying in this new place, there's not going to be chaos in the same way. But at minimum, we know that the sea makes up three-fourths of the earth's surface, and that's uninhabitable for humans. And in the new heavens and new earth, there won't be any sea. Why? Because we're going to be able to occupy and explore and enjoy the whole earth. We as his vice regents under God, but getting to enjoy him and him creating a place for us to dwell, to experience. And then it gets really good in verse 2, look. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Jerusalem is a symbol for God's people. God's people, holy, coming down out of heaven from God. Jerusalem also represents often the place where God dwells, like it says in Psalm 76. So God is dwelling here. There's this building. And as we've been learning, though, about the church, the building is not predominantly stones, but it's people. 
The, the building is not made by men, it's made of men and women and children. This building, though, isn't just a building, it's a what? Starts to be right here. It's a bride. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Family, this is the image of us. I was thinking about this message and kind of the privilege of where I get to stand right here looking at you. And I get to look at all of you and recognize that we together are the bride of Christ. We can be prone to just say I, but it really is we is the idea. We interconnected, interrelated. We together are the bride of Christ, prepared beautifully, beautifully dressed for Jesus. Like this is who we are. This is our identity. This is our final destination, not just us individually, but us collectively being presented holy, set apart for Jesus. This is our final destination. I'm 33, but I've gotten to do a lot of weddings for my age, mainly because I've pastored a lot of young churches. And one of the special things about officiating a wedding is you get a view that only one other person gets. You know whose it is? It's the groom. You get the same view as the groom in this wedding. You get to stand next to the groom as the bride comes down beautifully dressed. And it's really special to just get to be there because you get to look at her and you get to look at him and you get to see the emotions that are happening. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's different. Everyone's so unique, but, but you get to see it happening. And it's so cool. And one of the things, like, I've been tempted to try it. I haven't done it. And if I do your wedding, I promise I won't. But I'm tempted to, like, want to just shake the groom and see if I could get him to look away. You know what I mean? Just be like, can I, you know, like, in that moment, can I get you? But I'm like, nah, he would throw me off and be like, nah, today's the day I'm looking at her. Do not distract me. She is mine. Like, she's walking down. You know what I'm saying? And you just see this emotion. Listen, he has eyes only for her. And this is the idea that we get of Jesus Christ looking at us. Look at 2 Corinthians 11. It says it explicitly right here in the text. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. You knew there could be a godly jealousy? A godly jealousy, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. That he would present us pure and blameless, like all the stain of sin washed away. Whether we are a virgin or not, he will make us one because he's made us holy. He has separated us and purified us through the blood of the lamb. He's saying, I'm looking at you now. Beautifully prepared and dressed for me, God's eyes for us, godly jealousy. What is that even like? That emotion he has for us as his bride. Back to our text. Beautifully dressed. Coming down out of heaven from God. What I love is God is the one sending us to his son Jesus. The from God, not from us, not from you, not from your effort or your striving, from God prepared beautifully. This is who we are. This depiction is beautiful because it just, it, it reorients us. Because it means literally that God is looking at us as his bride. Not just you, but us. He looks at Grace City Church as his bride. 
He looks at Radiant Church as his bride, as Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church as his bride, as James Allen Christian Church as his bride, as the Charleston Church, the global church, the universal church as his bride. He looks at your community group collectively together as his bride, even the ones in your group who are annoying and obnoxious and talk too much and don't talk enough and are frustrating and are constantly struggling. He looks at all of us jointly. I mean, I hope when we worship, you'll just look around and realize we together, not just individually, is not the point. We together are the bride of Christ, interrelated, interconnected, being presented before Jesus. This is the image This is supposed to be the image for us of our destination that drives every decision we take and turn we make. This image. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, doesn't it sound like a wedding ceremony? The officiant presiding over it, yelling, loud voice, saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Like like we talked about how Revelation is truly the the conclusion of the great drama of redemption that started in, in Genesis chapter one through three, and this promise is started in Genesis, and now we're getting seeing its fulfillment in Revelation. This is the promise, this is the heart of the redemptive plan of God, that we will be his people and he will be our God. This idea, family, everybody say we, will be his people. Everybody say he will be our God. Everybody say we will be his people and he will be our God. This is the story. This is the theme. This is it all from Genesis to now. Look at all these scripture references. I just want to show you. I'll send you, I'll send you, um, if you want them, I'll send them to you. And and it's worth just going exploring and reading them and just seeing all of the ways, the times he talks about this great promise, this idea that we're going to be his people and he's going to be our God. That this intimacy, get this, this intimacy is now bound through the covenant that God makes to us. Now the intimacy is guaranteed and no longer is it fragile as if it could be lost. Let me show you just a couple of passages with this theme in it. The first one in Genesis, which we'll get to in our Abraham series coming up. He says, I will establish my covenant, an everlasting covenant. What does an everlasting covenant mean? Doesn't end. Between me and you and your descendants. Turns out we are his descendants now after the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. He says, get this, I am now owned by you. I am yours. The perfect, holy, beautiful God of the universe says, I am yours. Look at Ezekiel chapter 11. The first part of this, or in verse 19, it says, I will give you an undivided heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. 2 Corinthians What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God, this building which God inhabits. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you see this theme? God is now dwelling with us. We are his, he is ours. This is the story of scripture. Only in in a marriage, think about it. Ain't nothing like it. Because you can have intimacy, you can have relationship with somebody, but once you get married, it changes, doesn't it? Because although you can have deep intimacy, once you get married, what happens? You stuck. It's the only time you literally walk in and you're unattached and you walk out and you're attached. You walk in and you're unbound and you walk out and you're bound. Ephesians 5 says what? It's a great mystery. What is the mystery? It talks about it in Genesis, that the two become one flesh. And now here in our final destination, there's the depiction of the church doing what with Jesus? Joining. God attaching himself to us, not just you, to us. We will be his people, and he will be our God. This is our final destination. Committed intimacy with God that lasts forever. New heavens, new earth. Everlasting, no sea. Occupying, running around the world the whole time in vibrant splendor, enjoying the presence of God. This is our final destination. What does that mean? Practically. If you're like me, I'm a practical guy. Okay, cool. Now what? Let me give you two points and then a handful of applications. And here's one. First point is this. When we're married with Christ, we get all the benefits from being married with him. We get all the benefits from being married with Christ, to be, for him being our husband. Look at verse 4. You see what the benefits are from this union, this wedding ceremony with Jesus, and what is it? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What does this mean? What well, means when you're married to Christ, there's no more crying or pain because he's a God of healing. No more crying because he's a God of joy. No more death, why? Because he's a God of life. We get all the benefits of being joined in our marriage to Christ. Paul Tripp gives an illustration about this piece of scripture, and he says this. If you're, if you're married to a mechanic, you don't ever got to worry about your car being broken down, do you? Because your spouse is going to fix it. If you're married to a nurse, you don't really got to be worried about being sick, do you? Spouse is going to doctor you up. If you're married to a dentist, you don't got to worry about your teeth being all jaggedy up. Because the dentist is going to help you. If you're married to a counselor, that one's kind of complicated, I think, actually. If you're married to a, <laughs> I'm saying, like, that one's a little bit complicated. But, like, you get the idea. Like, when you are married to somebody, get this, get this, get this, get this, 
You benefit from their strengths, even if they're your weaknesses. You could say, 2 Corinthians 12, especially when they're your weaknesses. And here we get the weaknesses that are associated with humanity. being healed through our union with Christ. The suffering associated with chronic pain and loss, grief over the loss of a loved one, chronic tension because of your situation, loneliness, the shame that can be associated with abuse from your past, Jesus wiping away those tears. Completely healing you. Completely restoring you. Every bit. No more mourning. No more pain. Doesn't matter how deep the pain is. It will be bound up in your union with Christ. He will heal it. We know not only the the pain that's done against us, but even the pain we inflict in others and the sin that we commit. Forgiveness is bound up in our marriage to Christ. In 1 John, he tells us, why are we forgiven? Because he is faithful and just. So the sin that's pervasive and it feels like you can never get your handle on it. The struggle that, that you have but is getting on other people, it, it gets wiped away in this final destination, in this marriage union with Christ. He heals us. There is no more tears. There is no more death. There is no more mourning. There's no more crying. These are the benefits associated with our union with Christ. This is what they are. Family, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says it, All the bad and the sad are being made untrue. Through our union with Christ. We get all the benefits associated with our marriage to Christ. The second thing I want you to know, similar, but I want you to hear the nuance. Our well-being is now attached to the character and nature of God. Our well-being is now attached to the character and the nature of God. So he says, there ain't going to be no more sadness. I'm going to deal with it all. He goes, that might sound too good to be true, and that's when we get verse 5 right here. Look what it says. It says, he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's like, hear me. This is for real, for real. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He says, how do you know this is going to happen? For I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. How do we know it's going to happen? Not because you're the beginning or your effort or your striving, but because of him. You get this, our well-being is now attached to the nature and the character of God. Here's what I'm saying, 
if you're married to a mechanic and your car is constantly breaking down, who looks bad? The mechanic, because they have the power to do something about it. If you're married to a dentist and your teeth are snaggly, who looks bad? Your dentist spouse, right? Listen, your well-being is now attached to his nature. Meaning this, if he does not give you every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, then he looks bad. Meaning this, if he leaves you alone in your suffering, he looks bad. Meaning this, if he does not forgive you for your sins, 1 John, he looks bad. If he does not provide you a way out of temptation, because the scriptures say he will, he looks bad. Because it's attached to his nature. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can't feel alone. But what I'm saying, because of your marriage with Christ, he cannot leave you alone. You feel it? I'm, I'm not saying you can't not, you can feel not forgiven, but I'm saying because of your marriage with Christ, you can't be not forgiven if you're married to him. I'm not saying that you can't give in to temptation, but what I am saying is if you're married to Christ, then he has provided you a way out of that temptation. Because it is in his nature to do so. And so now our well-being is attached to the nature of God. That's why he says, it is done, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Just to say, I am the A and the Z, that I am the one who bridges the gap. We are not the ones who bridge the gap. He is the one who bridges the gap. You know what this does? It takes me an application. This strikes a mortal wound at striving. A mortal wound at works righteousness. When we get this view that our well-being is attached to the nature of God. It just hits it in a place where it's got to die. I remember early on in my marriage, I, there were times when I would fall asleep crying because I couldn't be the type of Christian that I wanted to be. Literally, I was like, there's all these great promises, and I just feel like I can't ever live into it. Like, literally, I was like, I'm going to memorize the New Testament before I'm 30. And I've forgotten more than I have memorized. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and it definitely didn't happen. I was like, there's all these things I want to do. And, I, and it just frustrated me because I could never live into it. And striving was there in this way of, like, still earning. And it's like, but the answer is what? Of course you can't, Will. Of course you can't. But instead, God's saying, who is going to perfect you at the end? He's like, I am. Your well-being is in my nature. And here, here's what I mean when I say it strikes a, strikes a mortal wound at striving. Because hear this, when, when we feel convicted or we meet our own shortcomings or our own sin struggles, now we don't have to spiral even into self-pity because it's not up to us to bridge the gap. Now... When we even meet our own shortcomings and inability, now, because we know our well-being is attached to his nature, it causes us to worship. So conviction even becomes a grace. You feel me? I'm saying because we go, I can't do it. And we realize that's why he had to be the alpha and the omega. Because only the name of Jesus could cross that gap, bridge that gap for us. 
So now we worship differently. For our view of ourself shifts because we realize our sanctification is bound up in Jesus, like it says in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. So the completion of the good work began is based on the name of Jesus, not your name. Do we get this? Our marriage to Christ means we have his last name now. It's in his nature to heal us and to help us and to restore us and to paint this vision that one day we will be. It also changes dramatically the way I think <laughs> we think about other people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be like, man, you know, like, I want them to change or do this or shift this or I want to perfect them or, like, change them and all this kind of stuff. You can get all worried about it and I'm the worst of it, you know what I'm saying? Like, do y'all have problems when you shower, like, your mind won't stop and you just keep thinking about stuff? I think about y'all a lot and... And, and I'm like, ah, da, 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 you know what I'm saying? And I can be like, ah, you know, that did make any sense. But you know what I think? I think I know what you, you know what I mean. But this says that bride's coming out of heaven from God and will be perfected. So why worry? Even about this person or this church changing dramatically? What do we need to worry about? Because who is our, and our, I don't mean you, I mean us. I'm talking about your friend, your spouse, person in your community group, hard to love person. Who is our well-being attached to now? Not our effort, is it? Jesus' nature, his character. You see how it just, when it comes to striving, it just like, it's like that tree been struck and it's about to fall over because this is our final destination and it's guaranteed through Jesus. Another point of application. <clears throat> we get to enjoy our husband Jesus. It's like just time. It's just time to enjoy him. He's available to us now. It is time for us to be like, he's the best. And enjoy this marriage union we have with Christ. I have this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I, I like this quote. I use it some because I think it just really helps depict this future reality and this final destination. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Family, it is time to enjoy Jesus. Here, here's what I'm saying. If we know Hall's Chop House awaits, then we are not going to stop at McDonald's on the way. That's deep. <laughs> like literally. If you know you, your destination is Hall's, are you really going to stop and get some McDonald's? No, that was crazy. That literally, it's like, if you do, like, let's talk after about this. Like, you're not because you know the final destination is, is, on, is, is this beautiful wedding ceremony. It's beautiful, it's splendid, it's real, it's tangible. It's not just ethereal and spiritual. It's, it's going to have, it's going to, 
be, you know what I'm saying? It's got ground to it. It's going to be experiential as well. This is what new heavens and new earth will be. But the world will constantly sell us lies that you should eat a little bit of McDonald's here. I like to call it like the juicy fruit lie. You know what I'm saying? Like you chew juicy fruit and it tastes good for how many chews? Three, then it tastes like dirt. And many of us, though, are buying that lie that we just, all right, like let's get that little bit of that. We're like, oh, that was bad. Oh, that was bad. And the reason is because we don't have in our mind this final destination where we're going. It's not there. We're not aware of it. We're not enjoying him for how he can be enjoyed. Listen, this marriage, although is consummated in new heavens and new earth, is for us to start enjoying now. This promise from Genesis is realized in Revelation, but it's for us to start enjoying now. And I like what he says in verse 5 of our text because he's like, this is a trustworthy and true statement. Write it down. Think about Haggai, give careful thought to your ways, or, or even the, the admonition to the kings of Israel to write down the law. I'm like, we got to write, we got to sketch this thing in our mind. We got to journal, write it down, we got to solidify in our mind this final destination. That's why it's so important for us to not neglect the meeting together, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It's why it's so important in Hebrews chapter 3 when it says to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so we don't fall hard into sin's deceitfulness. We need daily admonition to remember our final destination so that we're like, oh, no, I'm not going to turn left here. I'm going right because I'm going to Halls, not McDonald's. Because my marriage to Christ is the best. I mean, literally, it's like, We have to get it in our mind. It's just sitting in it, bathing in it, letting the Holy Spirit push it into your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, push it into your mind, our minds. Another point of application. The bride of Christ is we. It moves beyond me and is we. I don't think it's totally inappropriate to talk about us ourselves singularly as the bride of Christ, but the emphasis in the scriptures is collective and it's we. And I'm like, now's the time, let me just be real with you, to start loving the church. It's time to start loving the church. Like, Will, you're biased, you're a pastor. Jesus is way more biased, he's the husband. And when we say, I remember a professor said this to me, he's like, when we say we love Jesus but hate the church, it's like saying you love the husband but hate his wife. How do you think he feels about that? Like, Jesus says, this is my bride. Is it messed up? Is yeah. Is it inconsistent? We are. But Jesus says we, like we are the bride of Christ. And that bride coming down the aisle, like, she might have beautiful eyes, beautiful hair, beautiful body, whatever. But in that moment, the husband gets all of her. Not a part of her, all of her. And I'm trying to say, it is time for us to stop living like a mangled bride with a mangled body. Like this hands over here, this arms over here, this foots and legs over here. This is the, we are the bride of Christ together, family. It's all of us he looks at and loves. It is not just you. It is not just me. It is us. 
It is us. So what does this mean? I think we have to embrace that collective identity as the bride of Christ. Start living lives that are so integrated that we realize that church is not what we do primarily on Sunday morning or with just your group, but our life's so integrated, sometimes it's like, I don't know where this person stops and this person starts because the lives are just so joined. Part of that, too, I think, is like us just being like real for real. It's bring all of ourselves into community and, and to stop hiding. We're bringing all of ourselves because in Southern Christianity, many of us have learned the art of fake vulnerability. Like we've mastered it. We can be in a group and be like sharing some stuff so people think we're honest, but we're lying or we're covering it up and we're not exposing all of ourselves. We're distancing. We're starting to hide. We are the bride of Christ. All of our imperfections as well. And here's what's beautiful about this too. Like our job is not chiefly to perfect the bride. That is Jesus' job. So we need to focus on loving the church. Talk about it, not ashamed, like loving it, delighting in it, even with its imperfections, because Jesus does the same thing. And his love, I love what Richard was saying last week, just how love matures us, receiving love matures us. There's something beautiful about that. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And he repeats that promise one more time. I will be their God, and they will be my children. This union is based on the commitment and the covenant of God to us. We need not worry when we are in Christ. But, my last point of application, verse 8, be a bad pastor not to give you this because this is true in the text and important for us to recognize because this final destination for seven verses gives us this beautiful depiction of a marriage, but it also talks about darkness too. And in this final point, I want to say this. This is something that Frank Legree said on the leader retreat. I think it's helpful to think about this first in light of this, that light shines the best when framed in darkness. So verse 8 says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So it is saying that those of us who are not in Christ, there is a fiery lake of burning sulfur and a second death. Americans don't like talking about this a lot. But this is true. And it's why we must never be in a place where we start to act like there is not eternal damnation as well. And like there is not wrath and pain as well. But lest we think, lest we consign ourselves to a position over God and start to condemn God based on our view of justice, to understand he is framing his beautiful bride the light of his bride with darkness. That we stand out. If you read Romans 9, it talks about it a lot too. To show the objects of his mercy in light of the objects of his wrath. If you think about 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
This darkness frames the light. And here's the important thing, I think, about that is, is here's the truth. And I, all of you who you only actually have to be married to know this reality, but you can't be kind of married, right? You can't. You're either married or you're not married. I've never heard of a kind of marriage. We can pretend like it, but you either are it or you're not it. And Revelation talks about that in, earlier in the book about lukewarmness. It's like, be hot or cold. That's not an exhortation towards our work, but the truth is this, is we're either married to Christ or we're not. And the beautiful invitation, though, to the marriage is based on Jesus' work for us and his grace given to us, whereby faith we enter into this matrimony. It's by faith we enter in. It's not by our effort we enter in. It's by faith and grace we enter in. This is how we're brought in. But that warning is intended to be a motivator as well. Love is the chief motivator, but it's intended to be a motivator as well for those of us who go, maybe this is where I am, to go, no, what would it look like to fully embrace this wedding ceremony to Jesus and let this final destination truly dictate every decision I make and turn I take. Ben, you can come on up. We're going to get a chance to move into a time of communion, and I think communion in light of this marriage ceremony is very fitting. Communion in a lot of ways is like vow renewals. Jesus has already committed himself to those of us who are in Christ. When we take communion, we are being reminded of his commitment to us and the way he did commit to us. How did he do it? He did it through breaking his body. He did it through death and being stripped. And so as we eat the cracker, we're reminded of the fact that Jesus' body was the entrance fee for our union. And the juice represents his blood, which is the wine that's poured out, literally like represents the blood that's poured out into us to give us new life. This is the great promise to us. So if you're a Christian, we'll have tables in the front and the back, and feel free to come up anytime in the next couple songs to take communion. And if you're not a Christian, that is absolutely okay. And I just encourage you to use this time to pray, talk to God. Be like, what could it be like? What could it be like? What would it be like to be married to you? Just ask him about it and see what he does. For everybody, we have people around the room in yellow lanyards. This is our prayer team, and they're here for you. We have people praying during the service and people praying now, and they want to respond. Whether you have questions they want to pray with you, whether you just might say, it feels like my destination constantly drifts, and I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to imprint it onto my head and heart. They pray for you in that. Whether it's big or little, we'd love to pray. And pray for us, and we'll take communion. Father in heaven, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for the great price you've paid to win this marital union. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. There's no one like you who not only forgives us, but loves us and perfects us through your love. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, God, that you would be with us in this time, that you would stir in us, that that you would cement onto our mind this final destination in a way that it cannot get out, even if we want it to. And that we would start to today begin enjoying all of the benefits of our union with Christ. We pray this in the great and mighty name 
of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.